two wizards. Two wizards? Two wizards. Uh, hey there, wizards and wizettes. This is uh, Josh here, checking in once more. Uh, uh, Wizard Broad, as they say, and uh, boy howdy, Ugh. I've I've just had some amazing times here. Um, last last I checked in with everybody, uh, and I hope I hope you also have been doing well. And uh, we appreciate your continued support of Two Wizards Podcast. I thought I'd just take a minute, do another quick little check in with everyone, and uh, let you all know what's what's been happening. Uh, in the, what I've been doing, the things I've been up to. So, uh, so in my wizard's goblet here. Well, okay. Honestly, I gotta be real with you. Uh, I don't. I don't have anything with me right now. Uh, I just had a crazy travel day, and I had like half a beer last night, and then totally passed the hell out. So I'm, I'm still taking it nice and easy. However, there is something, and if you'll excuse me, I'm gonna go grab the bottle. Um, this is this is something I did have recently in my wizard's tankard, wizard's chalice, uh, wizard's skiffos, if you will, uh, and I'm keeping this as a memento. I'll take a picture and I'll and I'll share it with Mark so he can throw it up on our on our socials. Um, but what was recently in my wizard's goblet, wizard's chalice, wizard's tankard, take your pick, is some zippos uzo. Mytilenes. So, ouzo, this uh, Greek liqueur, tastes like black licorice, and had a 200 milliliter bottle. It wasn't just me. I, I wasn't drinking all this by myself. But um, So this is what has recently been uh, my beverage of choice. Because, yes, listeners, like I said, I just got back traveling from Greece. I was there. And it's phenomenal, uh, everyone. I just, I just, I clearly, I'm, I'm struggling to articulate how profound this journey was, and what it means to me to be, yeah, a scholar of ancient Greek theater and a practitioner and somebody who wants to do this for the rest of his life, and then to finally go to where it started and to walk those places and to get burnt by that sun <laughs> and to and to drink that wine. Uh, it's, it's phenomenal. So we started off, we were a couple days in Delphi, went to the sanctuary, the, the remains of the sanctuary there and uh, go back and listen to our, re-listen to our episode on caves where Mark and I have our King of the Hill, uh, Hank Hill priestess of Pythia. Uh, I was there. I, I was walking around where that happened. It, uh, sorry, if I, if I like trail off in this check-in. It's, it's because the emotions are still flooring me. Um, I cried like eight times over this trip. <laughs> it was phenomenal. It's like, okay, so, so it's like this. And I'll, I'll go through the rest of my... Oh, okay, no, I'll, I'll go through my itinerary first. So yeah, I was in Delphi for a couple days um, doing that. We found... It wasn't the, the... There's also an ancient theater at Delphi, but we went to a different place. We went to an outside amphitheater, a modern one. And we're performing monologues and scenes from Greek tragedy, and yeah, that was incredible to get to do that outside. Uh, we spent a few days, uh, three, I think three days, three nights, something like that, uh, in Nafplio, in the uh, eastern Peloponnese, 
uh, went to the remains of Mycenae, where this huge fortress was, where Agamemnon and Clytemnestra from Greek myth and legend and drama, where they have resided, um, took tons of pictures. Yeah, taking pictures nonstop here constantly. Um, also nearby in Nafplio is um, the ancient theater of Epidavros or Epidaurus. Uh, and this was a fourth century. This was built in the 300s BC uh, theater. Still in incredible shape. Uh, has amazing acoustics. And uh, yeah, so we had a tour guide showing us all these things. And after she finished with her with her presentation, uh, we got to because right, this is like a group of actors. So everybody was reciting bar, uh, parts of their monologues um, or other things. Some people did Shakespeare, which, okay, fine, whatever. Um, and yeah, and I got to read, I got to read uh, part of the Agamemnon, the opening speech from Aeschylus's tragedy, the Agamemnon, got in, in Greek, got choked up there. And listeners and Mark and everybody else in the world, you better believe I jumped up into the middle of that orchestra with like perfect acoustics. And I recited the Ode to Man from Sophocles Antigone. One of like the, the, the for our first episode, we returned to it for our anniversary. One of the fundamental ideas here at the Two Wizards podcast that many are the wonders on earth, but none is more formidable than man, than human. I read it and I got choked up. There's a part where, you know, the, the course is talking about like he's mastered the He's mastered and conceived of language and art, and you better believe reading that out loud. Um, I'm gonna start start crying again now. Uh, yeah, that that was that was amazing. It was wonderful. Uh, and then we spent the the last few days in Greece, in Athens, looked at the Acropolis, looked at the Theater of Dionysus, where these plays were performed. Um, worked with some some Greek artists there. Took a bunch of notes. Um, it's really changed a lot. It's really deepened my understanding of what I want to do with Greek theater. Uh, and yeah, yesterday was a travel day, and we're right now, currently, I'm speaking to you from inside. Let me try and get this right. Kendrew Quadrangle of St. John's College of Oxford University in Oxford, UK, um, England. And uh, yeah, we have not quite a week. I think it was like five days um, six days. No, no, five days. Um, there's some museums. We're going to meet with some scholars, people whose books are sitting on my shelf back home. And I'm just going to cry some more. I'm just going to be crying this entire time. Uh, tears of joy, tears of amazement, uh, tears that I wish you all could be here with me. And Mark was here with me. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. We'll just, we'll have to maybe start, a, a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter for two wizards abroad and not just a wizard abroad um, so we can record episodes in Greece and just eat grilled meat and olives and drink wine nonstop uh, <laughs> something like that so um, so we, so it, it it's like this 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 is the best way that I can describe it what this experience has been like and as it's coming to a close and, and especially coming back from Greece it's like you you have read a book um, about peaches, or like you see a, a, a picture of a peach, or a photograph, or like a painting, and you're like, that looks amazing. Um, 
and I'm, I'm seeing the taste of, of this being described. It's, you know, and so I'm, I'm reading more books and I'm looking at more paintings and I'm starting to understand like how to like actually do a, a peach orchard and, and doing all this research and all this theory. And I'm reading scholars of peaches and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to present myself as like an, an emergent scholar of peaches. And then someone actually hands you a peach and you bite into it for the first time. And uh, yeah, that's that's what it was like. That's what it's like going to Greece. It's phenomenal. It's incredible. And I, I'm I'm not saying it's for everybody. Like you don't have to. I, I fangirl about Greek stuff. You you don't have to. You but but here's the thing. Here's the thing about the Two Wizards podcast. And we do this all the time. We say this all the time. And I mean it. And I'm more invigorated than ever because I've had this experience, and I want you to have that experience. Whatever that is. Whatever your thing is, if it's not Greek theater, if it's not Peaches, Mark's a produce wizard, but find that thing. Or if you know what that thing is, do, do that thing. Do it. Go out there, explore, experience. Don't read about it. Or don't just read about it. Don't just look at photos. Go out there, touch the, touch the dirt, uh, feel the pine trees, uh, drink the seawater. <laughs> Whatever. Maybe that's why I'm loopy. It's not just traveling. Um, it's all those beaches and Nafplio. I maybe drink a little too much seawater along the way. Um, but yeah, okay. So I'm I'm gonna wrap it up here. Um, so so thank you everyone. Thank you for ch checking in once more. Um, and uh, yes, look for in the short future. I still I have some more travel and I got some other things going on. Uh, but we will return to uh, uh, new episodes of the Two Wizards podcast very shortly. Um, and Mark, love you, buddy. You're doing a great job managing all this uh, while I'm gone. And you, you did a great job managing all this while I was still there. Uh, but anyway, enjoy this week's episode. Take care, everyone. Two wizards. Two wizards. Two wizards. Oh man, here we are again, Josh. Yes, here we are once again. Um, this isn't the first time that we've done this, but maybe slightly less usual. Um, yeah, we're like recording fairly, fairly bright, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed in the morning. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, typically we we schedule um, Sunday Sunday evening, Sunday night for our recording stuff, but just. Uh, as circumstances have it, we had to had to cut this episode. So, but but I also cut like like early in the morning. Um, but I don't know. I'm I'm kind of digging it. I'm kind of digging like the two wizards do brunch. Um, <laughs> two wizards do brunch. <laughs> <laughs> like like kind of a callback to our time as hobbits. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's just. It, 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 it has a nice energy. It has a nice energy, yeah. and I'm, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. But I um, like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm still wearing my fuzzy slippers and my, uh, you know, like bathrobe, and I don't have anything too fun. I, yeah, I, well, I guess that's just it. For this to be a proper brunch, we'd probably need some alcoholic uh, uh, beverages. But, and, and you know, there's, there's plenty of time for that still, but... Um, 
Oh yeah. But yeah, maybe, maybe we'll start off start with something easier. But uh, but yeah, welcome everybody. Uh, may and maybe you are also listening to this uh, in your fuzzy uh, bunny slippers and <laughs> bathrobe, and you're kicking back. Maybe you just had some French toast or something. But yes, welcome to uh, this new episode of the Two Wizards podcast. And my name is Josh, and I'm a wizard. And my name is Mark, and I am also a wizard. Yes, good morning, guys. We're mixing it up a little bit. Josh is going to go away for a while, so we got to, like, yeah, we gotta, double down. We got to redouble our efforts. He's going to go on an odyssey of his own. Ha, 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 ha. Ah, yes. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, we're going to mix it up a little bit today. Um, so, number one, Josh, what do you have in your wizard's coffee mug? Question mark. Actually, no, that's perfect. That's exactly what I have. And I'll, I'll also need to take a picture of this. This was a, uh, this was a Christmas present from uh, my sister-in-law. Uh, a few years back, I have a, I have a coffee mug inspired, I believe, by Starbucks. Um, but it is, it, it has a logo of Star Spawn Cthulhu. So, <laughs> Very out cool. of my Star Spawn Cthulhu coffee mug, I am in fact finishing my coffee from before, which is just straight up Folgers original roast. Um, uh, have a have a French press. I've used for a number of years now, and that's been treating me well. Uh, and 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 yeah, like I said, you know, maybe maybe I'll follow up with something a little a uh, little more uh, feisty ant out at brunch <laughs> with the other gals. But for right now, just just black coffee's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about you, Mark? Oh, I also have just some good old black Folgers coffee. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and I, and I don't faff around. I don't do any sugar, any milk or cream or anything like that just just straight straight up black coffee i take my coffee like i take my women hot black and up my ass <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that too yeah that too sure <laughs> although i've been thinking I've, I've been kind of toying with the idea of like um yeah getting a getting an actual coffee grinder oh yeah and like and like doing the doing the whole bean thing yeah Again, like the Mrs. Wizard and I being uh, uh, dinks, double income, no no kids. Yeah, I could I could go in for a conical burr grinder and do little cute yeah. coffee stuff. But but then again, nothing wrong with Folgers either. Just it's, a, it's the best part of waking up. <laughs> <laughs> and it has the greatest, most confusing commercials. Um, what are we doing yeah. today, Josh? We're gonna mix it up a little bit. Well, we we are also mi- mixing it up not only with our um, time of recording, not only with the contents of our wizards' tankards, coffee mugs. Uh, we are drawing on a uh, sort of standard episode format here. We are going to do some reading of a of a short story, maybe even one might say a novella. Uh, but we're not doing Lovecraft. I think this is a first, right? Isn't this our first? Um, yes. Two Wizards oral interpretation of literature that isn't Lovecraft? I, I believe it is, yeah. I believe it is. And so I'm also very excited about this. I know that you are much more familiar uh, with this author and his uh, uh, corpus more than I am. But we are going to be reading The Tower of the Elephant by Robert E. Howard. Woo! It's a Conan uh, the Barbarian story. It might. Yeah. It's not my favorite one, but... It's a really, really great one. Like, I am so excited. Do you, you don't read a lot of Howard, or? 
No, I I am I have not read much. I think uh, uh, what was this? Yeah, I, th- I think I like picked up a whole bunch of uh, ebooks for cheap. There was like, I don't know if it was like a humble bundle thing or um, yeah, I just found a website that had a whole bunch because a lot of his work uh, is also sort of in public domain. Um, and like yeah, and I think I kind of got started and in typical Josh fashion, I uh, got like super jazzed about it for a week and then kind of lost lost attention it was like oh here's a neat video game and like um but no <laughs> i i have not read much um okay. neither much of howard not a whole lot of conan like i know of, like i know of of conan the barbarian but yeah um, but i'm i'm super excited i'm super excited for this good deal well you just want to get into it buddy yeah i guess i guess we shall so uh and uh listeners you too can not only hear mark and i uh, going through this story, but if you want to check it out yourself, we are on the uh, Gutenberg.net uh, Project Gutenberg, um, which has a copy of the Tower of the Elephant. So by all means, check it out uh, on your own uh, accord. And this is, uh, yeah, from 1933, The Tower of the Elephant by Robert E. Howard, which also has, we were just talking about this before, um, sweet illustration of I'm. I mean, just based on this alone, I'm. I'm crazy excited to get into the story here. <laughs> uh, but yes, it says um, a strange, blood freezing story of an idol that wept on its throne and a valiant barbarian from the fringes of an elder civilization. Ooh. And with that said, here we are, chapter one. Torches flared murkily on the revels in the mall, where the thieves of the east held carnival by night. In the mall, they could carouse and roar as they liked, for honest people shunned the quarters, and watchmen, well paid with stained coins, did not interfere with their sport. Along the crooked, unpaved streets, with their heaps of refuse and sloppy puddles, drunken roisterers staggered, roaring. Steel glinted in the shadows where wolf preyed on wolf, and from the darkness rose the shrill laughter of women and the sounds of scufflings and strugglings. Torchlight licked luridly. Ooh, try saying that five times fast. <laughs> Torchlight licked luridly from broken windows and wide-thrown doors, and out of those doors, stale smells of wine and rank, sweaty bodies, clamor of drinking jacks and fists hammered on rough tables, snatches of obscene songs rushed like a blow in the face. In one of these dens, merriment thundered to the low, smoke-stained roof, where rascals gathered in every stage of rags and tatters. Furtive cat cut purses, leering kidnappers, quick fingered thieves, swaggering bravos with their wenches, strident voiced women clad in tawdry finery. Native rogues were the dominant element, dark skinned, dark eyed Zamorians, with daggers at their girdles and guile in their hearts. Ah, drink, drink for that line. Hell yeah. Even if it is just coffee, drink, drink for that line. <laughs> But there were wolves of a half a dozen outlaw nations there as well. There was a giant Hyperborean renegade, taciturn, dangerous, with a broadsword strapped to his great gaunt frame, for men wore steel openly in the mall. There was a Semitish counterfeiter, with his hooked nose and curled blue-black beard. There was a bold-eyed Brithunian wench sitting on the knee of a tawny-haired gunderman, a wandering mercenary soldier, a deserter from some defeated army. 
and the fat, gross rogue whose body jests were causing all the shouts of mirth was a professional kidnapper come up from distant Koth to teach women stealing to Zamorians who were born with more knowledge of the art than he could ever attain. This man halted in his description of an intended victim's charms, thrust his muzzle into a huge tankard of frothing ale. Then, blowing the foam from his fat lips, he said, By bell god of all thieves, I'll show them how to steal wenches. I'll have her over the Zamorian border before dawn, and there will be a caravan waiting to receive her. Three hundred pieces of silver, a count of Ophir promised me for a sleek young Berthunian of the better class. It took me weeks wandering among the border cities as a beggar to find one I knew would suit. And is she pretty baggage? He blew a slobbery kiss in the air. I know lords in Shem who would trade the secret of the elephant's tower for her, he said, returning to his ale. A touch on his tunic sleeve made him turn his head, scowling at the interruption. He saw a tall, strongly made youth standing beside him. This person was as much out of place in the den as a gray wolf among mangy rats of the gutters. His cheap tunic could not conceal the hard, rangy lines of his powerful frame, the broad, heavy shoulders, the massive chest, lean waist, and heavy arms. His skin was brown from outland suns, his eyes blue and smoldering. A shock of tussled black hair crowned his broad forehead. From his girdle hung a sword in a worn leather scabbard. The Cothian involuntarily drew back, for the man was not of any civilized race he knew. You spoke of the Elephant Tower? said the stranger, speaking Zamorian with an alien accent. I have heard much of this tower. What is its secret? The fellow's attitude did not seem, seem threatening, and the Cothian's courage was bolstered up by the ale and the evident approval of his audience. He swelled with self-importance. The secret of the Elephant Tower? he exclaimed. Why, any fool knows that Yara the priest dwells there with the great jewel men call the Elephant's Heart. That is a secret of his magic. The barbarian d digested this for a space. I have seen this tower, he said. It is set in a great garden above the level of the city, surrounded by high walls. I have seen no guards. The walls would be easy to climb. Why has not somebody stolen this secret gem? The Kothian stared wide-mouthed at the other's simplicity, then burst into a roar of derisive mirth in which the others joined. Hearken to this heathen, he bellowed. He would steal the jewel of Yara? Harkin, fellow, he said, turning portentously to the other. I suppose you are some sort of a northern barbarian. I am a Chimerian, the outlander answered in no friendly tone. The reply and manner of it meant little to the Kothian. Of a kingdom that lay far to the south, on the borders of Shem, he knew only vaguely of the northern races. Then give ear and learn wisdom, fellow, he said pointing his drinking jack, discomfited youth. Know that in Zamora, and especially in this city, there are more bold thieves than anywhere in the world, even Koth. If mortal man could have stolen the gem, be sure it would have been filched long ago. You speak of climbing the walls, but once having climbed, you would quickly wish yourself back again. There is no guard in the gardens at night for a very good reason, and that is no human guards. But in the watch chamber, in the lower part of the tower, are armed men, and even if you pass those who roam the gardens by night, you still must slip past the soldiers, for the gem is somewhere in the tower above. But if a man could pass through the gardens, answered the Chimerian, why could he not come at the gem through the upper part of the tower and thus avoid the soldiers? Again the Cothian gaped at him. Listen to him, he shouted jeeringly. The barbarian is an eagle who would fly to the jeweled rim of the tower, which is only a hundred and fifty feet above the earth, with rounded sides slicker than polished glass. 
The Sumerian glared about, embarrassed at the roar of mocking laughter that greeted this remark. He saw no particular humor in it, and was too new to civilization to understand its discourtesies. Civilized men are more discourteous than savages, because they know they can be impolite without having their skulls split as a general thing. Fucking drink. <laughs> I love that yeah. line. <laughs> he was bewildered and chagrined and doubtless would have slunk away abashed, but the Cothian chose to goad him further. Come, come, he shouted. Tell these poor fellows who have be only been thieves since before you were spawned. Tell them how you would steal the gem. There is always a way, if the desire be coupled with courage, answered the Chimerian shortly, nettled. The Cothian chose to take this as a personal slur. His face grew purple with, ang with anger. What? he roared. You dare tell us our business and intimate that we are cowards? Get along. Get out of my sight. And he pushed the Sumerian violently. Will you mock me and then lay hands on me? grated the barbarian, his quick rage leaping up. And he returned the push with an open-handed blow that knocked his tormentors that knocked his tormentor back against the rude hewn table. Ale splashed over the jack's lip, and the Cothian roared in fury, dragging at his sword. Heathen dog, he bellowed. I will have your heart for that. Steel flashed, and the throng swung wildly back out of his way. In their flight, they knocked over the single candle, and the den was plunged into darkness. Broken by the crash of upset benches, drum of flying feet, shouts, oaths of people tumbling over one another, and a single strident yell of agony that cut the din like a knife. When a candle was relighted, most of the guests had gone out by doors and broken windows, and the rest huddled behind sacks of wine kegs and tables. The barbarian was gone. The center of the room was deserted except for the gashed body of the Cothian. The Sumerian, with the unerring instinct of the barbarian, had killed this man in the darkness and confusion. Oh, God. Ah, what a great, great opening. So great. Right? That's just... Oh, God. <laughs> well, and and it is. It's like touching on all of those... Um, yeah, like, uh, here we are, like, the CD, like, Thieves' Den, um, the... Uh, oh, what does is, what is Obi-Wan Kenobi say Moss about... Moss Eisley? Ma Moss Eisley, yeah, like a, 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 a pit of... Oh god, okay, hold on. Hold on. You'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. Scum and villainy, yeah, that's it. Exactly. Yep. Perfect. Oh, it's so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but it is too, like, I, I think there is um because this was like pre this was pre Joseph Campbell, right? Because Campbell was like in the like fifties and sixties, right? Uh yeah, I think so. Uh, let's see here. Ba, 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 ba. Hero with a Thousand Faces came out forty nine. Forty nine. Yeah. So this is edition. yeah. But it's but it's like touching on. Yeah, and and it, but and yet it's like touching on all of those. Uh, uh, yeah, those tropes, those archetypes. The like, uh, here's here's the place where like none of like the decent, honest folk go. The guards are bribed with stained coins and, um, yeah, like the worst of the worst are there. And then the like silent, super buff stranger just like, <laughs> just like rolls in. Oh God, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is a great Conan story. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, it's it, it's and and then of course, like it also sets up perfectly. Like, okay, yeah, this is what we're doing now. Uh, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go to the to this like walled off tower, uh, 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 compound thing, and we're gonna steal the 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 uh, gem. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. Oh, there was. I thought there was something else that kind of jogged my memory, or um. Eh, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it'll come back. Okay. Uh, well, then, I guess let us continue with chapter two. The lurid lights in drunken revelry fell away behind the Sumerian. He had discarded his torn tunic and walked through the night naked except for a loincloth and his high-strapped sandals. He moved with the supple ease of a great tiger, his steely muscles rippling under his brown skin. He had entered the part of the city reserved for the temples. On all sides of him they glittered white in the starlight. Snowy marble pillars and golden domes and silver arches, shrines of Zamora's myriad strange gods. He did not trouble his head about them. He knew that Zamora's religion, like all things of a civilized, long-settled people, was intricate and complex, and he had lost most of the pristine essence in a maze of formulas and rituals. He had squatted for hours in the courtyard of the philosophers, listening to the arguments of theologians and teachers, and come away in a haze of bewilderment, sure of only one thing, and that, that they were all touched in the head. <laughs> His gods were simple and understandable. Krom was their chief, and he lived on a great mountain, whence he sent forth doom and death. It was useless to call on Krom, because he was a gloomy, savage god, and he hated weaklings. But he gave a man courage at birth, and the will and might to kill his enemies, which, in the Sumerian's mind, was all any god should be expected to do. His sandaled feet made no sound on the gleaming pave. No watchman passed, for even thieves of the mall shunned the temples, where strange dooms had been known to fall on violators. Ahead of him he saw, looming against the sky, the Tower of the Elephant. He mused, wondering why it was so named. No one seemed to know. He had never seen an elephant. He vaguely understood that it was a monstrous animal, with a tail in the front as well as behind. This a wandering Shemite had told him, swearing that he had seen such beasts in the thousands in the country of the Hyrcanians. But all men know what liars are the men of Shem. At any rate, there were no elephants in Zamora. The shimmering shaft of the tower rose frostily in the stars. In the sunlight it shone so dazzling that a few that few could bear its glare, and men said it was built of silver. It was round, a slim, perfect cylinder, a hundred and fifty feet high, but its rim glittered in the starlight with great jewels which encrusted it, which crusted it. The tower stood in the waving exotic trees of a garden raised high above the general level of the city. A high wall enclosed this garden, and outside the wall was a lower level, likewise enclosed by a wall. No light shone forth. There seemed to be no windows in the tower, at least none of any level in the inner wall. Only the high gems above sparkled frostily in the starlight. Shrubbery grew thick outside the lower or outer wall. The Sumerian crept close and stood beside the barrier, measuring it with his eye. It was high, but he could leap and catch the coping with his fingers, and then it would be child's play to swing himself up and over. And he did not doubt that he could pass the inner wall in the same manner, but he hesitated at the thought of the strange perils which were said to await within. These people were strange and mysterious to him. They were not of his kind, not even the same blood as the more westernly Berthunians, Nemadians, Cothians, and Aquilonians, whose civilized mysteries had awed him in times past. The people of Zamora were very ancient, and from what he had seen of them, very evil. 
He thought of Yara, the high priest, who had worked strange dooms from this jeweled tower, and the Sumerian's hair prickled as he remembered a tale told by a drunken page of the court, how Yara had laughed in the face of a hostile prince and held up a glowing evil gem before him, and how rays shot blindingly from that unholy gem to envelop the prince, who screamed and fell down, and shrank to a withered blackened lump that clung to a black spider which scampered wildly about the chamber until Yara set his heel upon it. Yara came not often from his Tower of Magic, and always to work evil on some man or some nation. The king of Zamora feared him more than he feared death, and kept himself drunk all the time because that fear was more than he could endure sober. Yara was very old, centuries old, men said, and added that he would live forever because of the magic of his gem, which men called the heart of the elephant for no better reason that they named his hold the Elephant's Tower. The Sumerian, engrossed in these thoughts, shrank quickly against the wall. Within the garden someone was passing, who walked with a measured stride. The listener heard the clink of steel. So after all, a guard did pace those gardens. The Sumerian waited, expected to hear him pass again on the next round, but silence rested over the mysterious gardens. At last curiosity overcame him. Leaping lightly, he grasped the wall and swung himself up to the top with one arm. Lying flat on the broad coping, he looked down at the wide space between the walls. No shrubbery grew near him, though he saw some carefully trimmed bushes near the inner wall. The starlight fell on the even sward, and somewhere a fountain tinkled. The Sumerian cautiously lowered himself down on the, si on the inside and drew his sword, staring about him. He was shaken by the nervousness of the wild at standing thus unprotected in the naked starlight, and he moved lightly around the curve of the wall, hugging its shadow, until he was even with the shrubbery he had noticed. Then he ran quickly toward it, crouching low, and almost tripped over the form, over a form that lay crumpled near the edge of the bushes. A quick look to the left and right showed him no enemy, at least in sight, and he bent close to investigate. His keen eyes, even in the dim starlight, showed a strongly built man in silvered armor and crested helmet of a, Samor of a Zamorian royal guard. A shield and a spear lay near him, and it took but an instant's examination to show that he had been strangled. The barbarian glanced about uneasily. He knew that this man must be a guard he had heard passing by the wall. Only a short time had passed, and yet in the interval nameless hands had reached out in the dark and choked the soldier's life. Straining his eyes in the gloom, he saw the hint of motion through the shrubs near the wall. Thither he glided, gripping his sword. He made no more noise than a panther stealing through the night, yet the man he was stalking heard. The Sumerian had a dim glimpse of a huge bolt close to the wall, felt relief that it was at least human, and then followed to wheel quickly with a gasp that sounded like panic, made the first motion of a forward plunge. Hands clutching, then recoiled from the Sumerian's blade, caught the starlight. For a tense instant, neither of them spoke, ready for anything. "'You're no soldier!' hissed the stranger at last. "'You are a thief like myself!' "'And who are you?' asked the Sumerian in a suspicious whisper. "'Taurus of Nemedia!' The Sumerian lowered his sword. "'I've heard of you. Men call you a prince of thieves.' A low laugh answered him. Taurus was as tall as a Sumerian, and heavier, he was big-bellied and fat, but his every movement betokened a subtle dynamic magnetism, which was reflected in the keen eyes that glinted vitally, even in the starlight. He was barefooted and carried a coil of what looked like a thin, strong rope knotted at regular intervals. "'Who are you?' "'Conan, a Sumerian,' answered the other. "'I came seeking a way to steal Yara's jewel that men call the elephant's heart.' 
Conan sensed the man's great belly shaking in laughter, but it was not derisive. By Bell, god of thieves, hissed Taurus. I thought I only myself had the courage to attempt that poaching. The Zamorians call themselves thieves. Bah! Conan, I like your grit. I've never shared an adventure with anybody, but by Bell, we'll attempt this together if you are willing. Then you are after the gem too? What else? I've had my plans laid for months, but I think you've acted on sudden impulse, my friend. You killed the soldier? Of course. I slid over the wall when he was on the other side of the garden. I hid in the bushes. He heard me, or thought he heard something, and when he came blundering over, it was no trick to get behind him and suddenly grip the neck and choke the fool's life. And like most men, half-blind in the dark, a good thief should have eyes like a cat. You made one mistake, said Conan. Taurus's eyes flashed angrily. I? A mistake? Impossible! You should have dragged the body into the bushes. Said the novice to the master of the art. They will not change the guard until past midnight. Should any come searching for him now and finds his body, they would flee at once to Yara, bellowing the news, and give us time to escape. Were they not to find it, they'd go beating up the bushes and catch us like rats in a trap. Mm, you are right, agreed Conan. So now, attend. We waste time in this cursed discussion. There are no guards in the inner garden. Human guards, I mean. Though there are sentinels even more deadly. It was their presence which baffled me for so long, but I finally discovered a way to circumvent them. What of the soldiers in the lower part of the tower? Old Yara dwells in the chambers above. By that route we will come and go, I hope. Never mind asking me how, I've arranged that way. We'll steal down to the top of the tower and strangle old Yara before he can cast any of his accursed spells on us. At least we'll try. It's the chance of being turned into a spider or a toad against the wealth of power in all the world. All good thieves must know how to take risks. I'll go as far as any man, said Conan, slipping off his sandals. Then follow me. And turning, Taurus leapt up and caught the wall and drew himself up. The man's suppleness was amazing considering his bulk and seemed almost to glide over the edge of the coping. Conan followed him, lying flat on the... Jesus, I can't say it, Josh. Lying mm -hmm. flat on the broad top, and they spoke in wary whispers. I see no light, Conan muttered. The lower part of the tower seemed much like that portion visible from outside the garden. A perfect, gleaming cylinder with no apparent openings. They are cleverly constructed doors and windows, answered Taurus, but they are closed, and the soldiers breathe air that comes from above. The garden was a vague pool of shadows where feathery bushes and low-spreading trees waved darkly in the starlight. Conan's wary soul felt the aura of waiting menace that brooded over it. He felt to the burning glare of unseen eyes, and he caught a subtle scent that made the short hairs on his neck instinctively bristle, as a hunting dog bristles at the scent of an ancient enemy. Follow me, whispered Taurus. Keep behind me as you value your life. Taking what looked like a copper tube from his girdle, the Nemedian dropped lightly to the sword inside the wall. Conan was close behind him, sword ready, but Taurus pushed him back, close to the wall, and showed no indication to advance himself. His whole attitude was of tense expectancy, and his gaze, like Conan's, was fixed on the shadowy mass of a shrubbery a few yards away. This shrubbery was shaken, although the breeze had died down. The two, then two great eyes blazed from the waving shadows, and behind them other sparks of fire glinted in the darkness. Lions, muttered Conan. Aye, by day they are kept in the subterranean caverns below the tower. That's why there's no guards in this garden. Conan counted the eyes rapidly. Five in sight. Maybe more back in the bushes. They'll charge in a moment. Be silent, hissed Taurus, and he moved out from the wall. 
cautiously treading as if on razors, lifting the slender tube. Low rumblings rose from the shadows, and the blazing eyes moved forward. Conan could sense the great slavering jaws, the tufted tails lashing tawny sides. The air grew tense, the Sumerian gripped his sword, expecting a charge, and the irresistible hurtling of giant bodies. Then Taurus brought the mouth of the tube to his lips and blew powerfully. A long jet of yellowish powder shot from the other end of the tube, billowed out instantly in a thick green-yellow cloud that settled over the shrubbery, blotting blotting out the glaring eyes. Taurus ran back hastily to the wall. Conan glared without understanding. The thick cloud hid the shrubbery, as if no sound came on it. "'What is that mist?' Mesmerian asked uneasily. "'Death!' hissed the Nemadian. "'If a wind springs up and blows it back upon us, we must flee over the wall. But no, the wind is still and now dissipating. Wait until it vanishes entirely. To breathe it is death.' Presently, only yellowish shreds hung ghostly in the air, and when they were gone, Taurus motioned his companion forward. They stole toward the bushes, and Conan gasped. Stretched out in the shadows lay five great tawny shapes. The fire of their grim eyes dimmed forever. A Swedish cloying scent lingered in the atmosphere. They died without a sound, muttered the Sumerian. Taurus, what was that powder? It was made from the black lotus, whose blossoms wave in the jungles of lost Kitai, where only the yellow-skulled priests of Yun dwell. Those blossoms strike dead any who smell them. Conan knelt beside the great forms, assuring himself that they were indeed beyond the power of harm. He shook his head. The magic of the exotic lands was mysterious and terrible to the barbarians of the north. Why can you not slay the soldiers in the tower in the same way? Because that was all the powder I possessed. The obtaining of it was a feat which itself was enough to make me famous once among the thieves of the world. I stole it from a caravan bound for Stygia, and lifted it in a cloth of gold bag out of the coils of a great serpent who guarded it, without awakening him. But come in Bell's name, are we to waste the night in discussion? They glided through the shrubbery to the gleaming foot of the tower, and there with a motion enjoining silence, Taurus unwound the knotted cord on one end, which was a strong steel hook. Conan saw his plan and asked no questions as the Nemadian gripped the line a short distance below the hook and began to swing it about his head. Conan laid his ear to the smooth wall and listened, but could hear nothing. Evidently, the, soldier, the soldiers within did not expect the presence of intruders, who had made no more sound than the night wind blowing through the trees. But a strange nervousness was on the barbarian. Perhaps it was the lion smell which was over everything. Taurus threw the line with a smooth, ripping motion of his mighty arm. The hook curved upward and inward in a peculiar manner, hard to describe, and vanished over the jeweled rim. It apparently caught firmly, for cautious jerking and then hard pulling did not result in any slipping or giving. Luck on the first cast, murmured Taurus. Aye. It was Conan's savage instinct which made him wheel suddenly, for the death that was upon them made no sound. A fleeting glimpse showed the Sumerian the giant tawny shape, rearing upright against the stars, towering over him for the death stroke. No civilized man could have moved half so quickly as the barbarian moved. His sword flashed frostily in the starlight, with every ounce of desperate nerve and thew behind it, and man and beast went down together. Cursing incoherently under his breath, Taurus bent above the mass and saw his companion's limbs move as he strove to drag himself from under the great weight that lay limply upon him. A glance showed the startled Numidian that the lion was dead, its slanting skull split in half. He laid hold of the carcass, and by his aid, Conan thrust it aside and clambered up, still gripping his dripping sword. "'Are you hurt, man?' "'No, by Krom,' answered the barbarian. "'But that was as close a call as I've had in life, no ways tame. Why did not the cursed beast roar as he charged?' 
All things are strange in this garden, said Taurus. The lion strikes silently, and so do other deaths. But come, little sound was made in that slaying, but the soldiers might have heard, if they are not asleep or drunk. That beast was in some other part of the garden and escaped the death of the flowers, but surely there are no more. We must climb this cord. Little need to ask a Sumerian if he can. If it will bear my weight, grunted Conan, cleansing his sword on the grass. It will bear thrice my own, answered Taurus. It was woven from the tresses of a dead woman, which I took from their tombs at midnight and steeped in the deadly wine of the upas tree to give it strength. I will go first, then follow me closely. The Nemedian gripped the rope and, crooking a knee about it, began the ascent. He went up like a cat, belying the apparent clumsiness of his bulk. The Sumerian followed. The cord swayed and turned on itself, but the climbers were not hindered. Both had made more, both had made more difficult climbs before. The jeweled rim glittered high above them, jutting out from the per jutting out from the perpendicular, a fact which aided greatly to the ease of the ascent. Up and up they went, silently, the lights of the city spreading out further and further to their sight as they climbed, the stars above them more and more dimmed by the glitter of the jewels along the rim. Now Taurus reached up a hand and gripped the rim itself, pulling himself up and over. Conan paused a moment on the very edge, fascinated by the great frosty jewels whose gleams dazzled his eyes. Diamonds, rubies, emeralds, sapphires, turquoises, moonstones set thick as stars in the shimmering silver. At a distance their different gleams had seemed to merge into a pulsing white glare. But now, at close range, they shimmered with a million rainbow tints and lights, hypnotizing him with their scintillations. "'There is a fabulous fortune here, Taurus,' he whispered. But the, but the Numidian answered impatiently, "'Come on! If we secure the heart, these and all other things shall be ours!' Conan climbed over the, sparkle, over the sparkling rim. The level of the tower's top was some feet below the gemmed ledge. It was flat, composed of some dark blue substance, set with gold that, cast, that caught the starlight so the, whole, so the whole looked like a wide sapphire flecked with shining gold dust. Across the point where they entered, there seemed to be a, short, a sort of chamber built upon the roof, it was of the same silvery material as the walls of the tower, adorned with designs working in similar worked in similar gems. Its single door was of gold, and its surface cut in scales and crusted with jewels that gleamed like ice. Conan cast a glance at the pulsing at the pulsing ocean of lights which spread far below them and glanced at Taurus. The Nemadian was drawing up his cord and coiling it. He showed Conan where the hook had caught a fraction of an of an inch of the point had sunk under a great blazing jewel on the underside of the rim. Luck was with us again, he muttered. One would, one would think that our combined weight would have torn that stone out. Follow me. The real risks of the venture begin now. We are in the serpent's lair, and we know not where he lies hidden. Like stalking tigers, they crept across the darkly gleaming floor and halted outside the sparkling door. With a deft and cautious hand, Taurus tried it. It gave without any resistance, and the companions looked in, tensed for anything. Over the Nemadian's shoulder, Conan had a glimpse of a, of a glittering chamber, the walls, ceiling, and floor of which were crusted with great white jewels, which lighted it, bri which lighted it brightly by its illumination. There, it seemed empty of life. Before we cut off our last retreat, hissed Taurus, go to the rim and look over the sides. If you see any soldiers moving in the gardens or anything suspicious, return to me. I will await you within the chamber. Conan saw scant reason in this, and a faint suspicion of his companion touched his wary soul, but he did as Taurus requested. As he turned away, the Numidian slipped inside the door and drew it shut behind him. Conan crept about the rim of the tower, returning to his starting point without having seen any suspicious movements in the vaguely waving sea of leaves below. He turned toward the door, 
Suddenly from within the chamber there sounded a strangled cry. The Sumerian leapt forward, electrified. The gleaming floor swung open and Taurus stood framed in the cold blaze behind him. He swayed and his lips parted, and only a dry rattle burst from his throat. Catching at the golden door for support, he lurched out upon the roof, then fell headlong, clutching at his throat. The door swung to behind him. Conan, crouching like a panther at bay, saw nothing in the room behind the stricken Numidian. In the brief instant, the door was partly open. Unless it was not a trick of the light, which made it seem as if a shadow darted across the gleaming door. Nothing followed Taurus out on the roof, and Conan bent above the man. The Numidian stared up with dilated, glazing eyes that somehow held a terrible bewilderment. His hands clawed at his throat, his lips slobbered and gurgled. Then suddenly he stiffened, and the astounded Sumerian knew that he was dead. And he felt that Taurus had died without knowing what manner of death had stricken him. Conan glared bewilderedly at the cryptic golden door. In that empty room, with its glittering jeweled walls, death had come to the Prince of Thieves as swiftly and mysteriously as he had dealt doom to the lions in the gardens below. Gingerly, the barbarian ran his hands over the man's half-naked body, seeking a wound. But the only marks of violence were between his shoulders, high up near the base of his bold neck. Three small wounds, which looked as if three nails had been driven deep in the flesh and withdrawn. The edges of these wounds were black and faint, and the faint smell of putrefaction was evident. Poison darts? thought Conan. But in that case, the missile should, have, should still be in the wound. Cautiously, he stole toward the golden door and pushed it open and looked inside. The chamber lay empty, bathed in the cold, pulsing glow of myriad jewels. In its very center of the ceiling, he noticed he noted a curious design, a black eight-sided pattern. In the center of the floor, which four gems glittered with a red flame unlike the white blaze of the other jewels. Across the room, there was another door, and like the one in which he stood, except for there was not, it was not carved in the scale pattern. Was it from that door that death had come? and having struck down its victim, had retreated by the same way. Closing the door behind him, the Sumerian advanced into the chamber. His bare feet made no sound on the crystal floor. There were no chairs or tables in the chamber, only three or four silken couches embroidered with gold and worked in strange serpentine designs, and several silver-bound mahogany chests. Some were sealed with heavy golden locks, others lay open, their carven lids thrown back, revealing heaps of jewels and a careless riot of splendor to the Sumerian's astounded, astounded eyes. Conan swore beneath his breath. Already he had looked upon more wealth that night than he had ever dreamed existed in the world, and grew dizzy thinking of what must be the value of the jewel he sought. He was in the center of the room now, going stooped, or going stooped forward, head thrust out warily, sword advanced, when again death struck at him soundlessly. A flying shadow swept across the gleaming floor was his only warning, and, an, an, and his instinctive sidelong leap that saved his life. He had a flashing glimpse of a hairy black horror that swung past him with a clashing of frothing fangs. Something splashed on his bare shoulder that burned like drops of liquid hellfire. Springing back sword high, he saw a horror strike the floor and wheeled and scuttled toward him with an appalling speed. A gigantic black spider, such as men only see in nightmare dreams. It was as large as a pig, and its eight thick, hairy legs drove its ogreish body over the floor at headlong pace. Its four evilly gleaming eyes shone with a horrible intelligence and its fangs dripped venom that Conan knew from the burning of his shoulder where only a few drops had splashed as the, thick, as the thing struck and missed was laden with swift death. 
This was the killer that had dropped from its, from its perch in the middle of the ceiling on a strand of its own web on the neck of the Nemedian. Fools that, they, fools that they were not to have suspected that the upper chambers would be guarded as well as the lower. These thoughts flashed briefly through Conan's mind as the monster rushed. He leapt high and it passed beneath him, wheeled and charged back. This time he evaded its rush with a sidewise leap and struck back like a cat. His sword severed one of the hairy legs, and again he barely saved himself as the monstrosity swerved at him, fangs clicking fiendishly. But the creature did not press the pursuit. Turning, it scuttled across the crystal door and ran up the wall to the ceiling, where it crouched for an instant, glaring down at him with its fiendish red eyes. Then without warning it launched itself through space, trailing a strand of slimy grayish stuff. Conan stepped back to avoid the hurtling body, then ducked frantically just in time to escape being snared by the flying web rope. He saw the monster's intent and sprang toward the door, but it was quicker, and a sticky strand cast across the door made him a prisoner. He dared not try to cut it with his sword. He knew the stuff would cling to the blade, and before he could shake it loose, the fiend would be sinking its fangs into his, into his back. Then became a desperate game, the wits and quickness of the man matched against the fiendish, fiendish craft and speed of the giant spider. It no longer scuttled across the floor in a direct charge, or swung its body through the air at him. It raced about the ceiling and walls, seeking to snare him in the long loops of sticky gray web strands, which, flung, which it flung with a devilish accuracy. These strands were as thick as ropes, and Conan knew that once they were coiled about him, his desperate strength would not be enough to tear free when the before the monster struck. All over the chamber went on this devil's game, in utter silence except for the quick breathing of the man and the low scuff of his bare feet on the shining floor, the castanet rattle of the monstrosity's fangs. The gray strands lay in coils on the floor. They were looped along the walls. They overlaid the jeweled chest and the silken couches and hung in dusky festoons from the jeweled ceiling. Conan's steel trap quickness of eye and muscle had kept him untouched, and though the sticky loops had passed him so closely, they rasped his naked hide. He knew he could not always avoid them. Not He not only had to watch the strand swinging from the ceiling, but to keep an eye on the floor, lest he trip in the coils that lay there. Sooner or later, the gummy loop would writhe about him, python-like, and then wrapped in a cocoon, he would lie at the monster's mercy. The spider raced across the chamber floor, the gray rope waving out behind it. Conan leaped high, clearing a couch. With a quick wheel, with a quick wheel the fiend ran up the wall, and the strand leaping off the floor like a live thing whipped about the Sumerian's ankle. He caught himself on his hands as he fell, jerking frantically at the web, which held him like a pliant vice or the coil of a python. The hairy devil was racing down the wall to complete its capture. Stung to frenzy, Conan caught, the jewel, caught up a jeweled chest and hurled it with all his strength. It was, it was a move the monster was not expecting, for in the midst of the branching... For in the midst of the branching black legs, the massive missile struck, smashing the wall with a muffled, sickening crunch. Blood and greenish slime splattered, and, shat and the shattered mess fell with a burst gem chest to the floor. The crushed black body lay over the flaming riot of jewels and spilled over it. The hairy legs moved aimlessly, the, d the dying eyes glittered readily among the twinkling gems. Conan glared about, but no other horror appeared, and he set himself to working free of the web. The substance clung tenaciously to his ankle and his hands, but at last he was free, and taking up his sword, he picked his way among the great coils and loops to the inner door. What horrors lay within he did not know. The Sumerian's blood was up, 
and since he had come so far and overcome so much peril, he was determined to go through to the grim finish of the adventure, whatever that might be. And he felt that the jewel he sought was not among the many so carelessly strewn about the gleaming chamber. Stripping off the loops that fouled the inner door, he found that it, like the other, was not locked. He wondered if the soldiers below were still unaware of his presence. Well, he was high above their heads, and if tales were to be believed, they were used to strange noises in the tower above them, sinister sounds and screams of agony and horror. Yara was on his mind, and he was not altogether comfortable as he opened the golden door. But he saw only a flight of silver steps leading down, dimly lighted by what means he could not ascertain. Down these he went silently, gripping his sword. He heard no sound, and came presently to an ivory door set with bloodstones. He listened, but no sound came from within. Only thin wisps of smoke drifted lazily from beneath the door, bearing a curious exotic odor unfamiliar to the Sumerian. Below, below him the silver stair wound down to vanish in the dimness, and up that shadowy well no sound floated. He had an eerie feeling that he was alone in a tower occupied only by ghosts and phantoms. Bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun. Yes, <laughs> quite again. Just great swashbuckling, sneaking into the wizard's tower, uh, fighting off giant spiders. Oh, God. So great. <laughs> It's so great. It's it's so great. Also, that ta- okay. You've seen how I met your mother, right? Yes. Yeah, you know the uh, Brian Cranston's big architect design, and then he shows it to the firm, and the guy goes, "That's a penis." That's all I could fucking think. That's all I could think. All they're doing is climbing up the dick. They're talking about like there was less shrubbery at the base of it, but it was ringed by a bunch of shrubbery, and like it was big and long and white and. <laughs> And it and it and it uh, has has all these jewels, all the family jewels. <laughs> yes, I think that's also um, I, we one one doesn't have to be a Joseph Campbell or a or a, a Sigmund Freud or a Carl Jung to piece together like uh, yeah the, yeah towers a phallic object and you're these yeah. dudes creeping along and gonna gonna make a mess of things. <laughs> <laughs> I also I'm also really struck by um cuz yeah like if Taros was like uh man I've been planning this operation for for like a year or something like that isn't that what he said he's been planning this all, a yeah. long time and just out of the blue here comes this other thief and he's immediately like okay yeah let's let's team up like I would imagine uh that that would like be a whole bunch of like just 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 extra complications that you don't factor in uh but he somehow yeah they like have the briefest of like bro ships um for all of yeah like 20 minutes and then they they survived the guards they survived the lions uh survived climbing up you know way up into the air on this on this rope made of dead woman hair and like tree <laughs> yeah. sap uh, but just, just that goddamn spider, man. God, goddamn giant spider. Like, yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, how I for and really like all the planning and preparation you have in the world. Uh, yeah, how how could you even know that there'd be a giant spider in that room just waiting to sink its teeth into you? <laughs> right. 
Like, <laughs> what do you do with that? Like, yeah, right. Well, I was also, I was also very much um, getting, yeah, like Skyrim Frost Spider uh, kind of uh-huh. vibes. Like, oh god damn it, are you dealing dealing with this shit again? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh, so good. It is. Ah, oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I, I mean, I need to like take a little break and just kind of catch catch my breath here because because that was truly like gripping adventure and thrills um and i also ran out of coffee so i <laughs> just kind of during a little break here uh, mixed up a, a little um and I, I guess this is essentially um a uh, uh, not diluted as in water but just like less strong jungle bird i suppose so little splash of kraken a little bit of campari um and I guess, yeah, more than the usual amount of, yeah, kind of pineapple orange juice, uh, which is which is like brunchy, breakfasty, brunchy. I would drink this. Okay. I I am drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> How is it? Ah, uh, yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. It, it feels like because yeah, I got um, as I as 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 my tweets um, that night alluded. I I I kind of got got pecked by that jungle bird quite a bit. <laughs> Uh, but this is a nice. I feel like I can drink this and then still uh, work on laundry the rest of the day. So yeah, <laughs> right on. <laughs> and I made myself a bloody mary. Oh, nice. There you yeah, go. it's there the most well, acceptable breakfast alcohol. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, and uh, on that, cheers, cheers, buddy. Here's cheers, time. good buddy. Mm. Good. Mm-mm. All right. Tower of the Elephant, Conan is going inside of it now. What going horrors inside. will await him? And we will, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what sort of what sort of mischief happens uh, here in uh, the 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 final, the last chapter three. Cautiously, he pressed against the ivory door, and it swung silently inward. On the shimmering threshold, Conan stared like a wolf in strange surroundings, ready to fight or flee on the instant. He was looking into a large chamber with a domed golden ceiling. The walls were of green jade, the floor of ivory, partly covered by thick rugs. Smoke and exotic scent of incense floated up from a brazier on a golden tripod, and behind it sat an idol on a sort of marble couch. Conan stared aghast. The image had the body of a man, naked and green in color, but the head was one of nightmare and madness. Too large for the human body, it had no attributes of humanity. Conan stared at the wide, flaring ears, the curling proboscis, and on either side of which stood white tusks tipped with round golden balls. The eyes were closed, as if in sleep. This, then, was the reason for the name, the Tower of the Elephant, for the head of the thing was much like that of the beasts described by the Semitish wanderer, this was Yara's god? When then should the gem be but concealed in the idol, since the stone was called the elephant's heart? As Conan came forward, his eyes fixed on the motionless idol. The eyes of the thing opened suddenly. The Sumerian froze in his tracks. It was no image. It was a living thing, and he was trapped in its chamber. That he did not instantly explode in a burst of murderous frenzy is a fact that measures his horror, which paralyzed him where he stood. A civilized man in his position would have sought doubtful refuge in the conclusion that he was insane. It did not occur to the Sumerian to doubt his senses. 
He knew he was face to face with a demon of the elder world, and the realization robbed him of all his faculties except for sight. The trunk of the horror was lifted and quested about. The topaz eyes stared unseeingly, and Conan knew the monster was blind. With the thought came a thawing of his frozen nerves, and he began to back silently toward the door. But the creature heard, and the sensitive trunk stretched toward him. And Conan's horror froze him again when he began to speak in a strange, stammering voice that, he, that never changed its key or timber. The Sumerian knew those jaws were never built or intended for human speech. Who is there? Have you come to torture me again, Yara? Will you never be done? Oh, Yahag Kosha, is there no end to the agony? Tears rolled from the sightless eyes, and Conan's, gazed, and Conan's gaze strayed to the limbs stretched on the marble couch, and he knew the monster would not rise to attack him. He knew the marks of the rack and the searing brand of flame, and tough-souled as he was, he stood aghast at the ruined deformities, which reason told him had once been the limbs as comely as his own. And suddenly all fear and repulsion went from him, and, replaced, and were replaced with great pity. What was this monster? Conan could not know. But the evidences of the sufferings were so terrible and pathetic that the strange, aching sadness came over the Sumerian. He knew not why. He only felt that he was looking upon a cosmic tragedy, and he shrank with shame, as if the guilt of a whole race were laid upon him. I am not Yara, he said. I am only a thief. I will not harm you. Come near that I might touch you. The creature faltered, and Conan came near, unfearingly, his sword hanging forgotten in his hand. The sensitive trunk came out and groped over his face and shoulders, as a blind man gropes, and its touch was light as a girl's hand. Uh, you are not the Yara's race of devils, sighed the creature. The clean, lean fierceness of the wasteland marks you. I know your people from, an, from old, whom I knew by another name in the long, long ago, when another world lifted its jeweled spires to the stars. There is blood on your fingers. A spider in the chamber above and a lion in the garden, muttered Conan. You have slain a man too this night, answered the other. And there is death in the tower above, I feel, I know. Aye, muttered Conan. The prince of all thieves lies there dead from the bite of a vermin. So and so, the strange inhuman voice rose in a sort of low chant. A slaying in the tavern and a slaying on the road, I know, I feel. And the third will make the magic of which not even Yara dreams. Oh, magic of deliverance, green gods of Yag. Again tears fell upon the tortured body, was rocked to and fro in the grip of varied emotions. Conan looked on, bewildered. Then the convulsion ceased. The soft, sightless eyes turned toward the Sumerian. The trunk beckoned. Oh, man, listen, said the strange being. I am foul and monstrous to you, am I not? Nay, do not answer, I know. But you would seem strange to me, could I see you. There are many worlds besides this earth, and life takes many shapes. I am not a god nor demon, but flesh and blood like yourself. Those substance differ in part, and the form cast in a different mold. And the form cast in a different mold. I am very old, O oh man of waste of waste countries. Long, long ago, I came to this planet of my world, the green planet of Yag, which circles forever in the outer fringe of this universe. We were swept through space on mighty wings that drove us through the cosmos quicker than light. But because we warred the kings of Yag and were defeated and outcast, we could never return, for on earth our wings withered from our shoulders. 
Here we abode depart from earthly life. We fought the strange and terrible forms of life which then walked the earth, so that we became feared, and were not molested in the dim jungles of the east where we had our abode. We saw men grow from the ape and build shining cities of Volusia, Camellia, Camoria, and their sisters. And we saw them reel before the thrusts of the heathen Atlanteans and Picts and Lemurians. We saw the oceans rise and engulf Atlantis and Lemuria, and the Isle of Picts, and the shining cities of civilization. We saw the survivors of Pictum and Atlantis build their Stone Age empires and go down to ruin locked in bloody wars. We saw the Picts sink into abysmal savagery, the, Atlant the Atlanteans into Aptum again. We saw new savages drift southward in conquering waves from the Arctic Circle to build new civilizations and new kingdoms called Nemadia and Koth and Aquilonia and their sisters. We saw your people under a new name from the jungles of the apes that had been Atlanteans. We saw the descendants of the Lemurians, who had survived the cataclysm, rise again through savagery and, wide, and ride westward as Hyrcanians. And we saw that race of devils and survivors of the ancient civilization that was before Atlantis sink, sank, come once more into culture and power, this accursed kingdom of Zamora. All this we saw, neither aiding nor hindering the imaginable, uh, immutable cosmic law, and one by one we died, for of Yag are not of mortal, though our lives are as lives as planets and constellations. At last, I was alone, left dreaming of old times in the ruined jungles and the ruined temples of jungle lost Kitai. Worshipped as a god by an ancient yellow-skinned race, then came Yara, versed in the dark knowledge handed down through the days of barbarism and before since before Atlantis sank. Fuck you, Reed. <laughs> Okay, I was going to say, I can, I can tag in here, buddy. I did not, I forgot that he fucking talked so much. He's just, yeah, this is, this is it. Well, yeah, because he hasn't had anybody to talk to. That, yeah, um, he's yeah, not getting little... the shit kicked out of him for a change. Yeah, right. First he sat at my feet and learned wisdom, but he was not satisfied with what I taught him, for it was white magic, and he wished evil lore to enslave kings and glut a fiendish ambition. I would teach him none of the black secrets I had gained, through no wish of mine, through the eons. But his wisdom was deeper than I had guessed. With guile gotten among the dusty tombs of dark Stygia, he trapped me into divulging a secret I had not intended to bear. And turning my own power upon me, he enslaved me. Ah, gods of Yag, my cup has been bitter since that hour. He brought me up from the lost jungles of Katai, where the gray apes danced to the pipes of the yellow priests, and offerings of fruit and wine heaped my broken altars. No more was I a god to kindly jungle folk. I was slave to a devil in human form. Again tears stole from the unseeing eyes. He penned me in this tower which at his command I built for him in a single night. By fire and rack he mastered me, and by strange unearthly tortures you would not understand. In agony I would long ago have taken my own life if I could. But he kept me alive, mangled, blinded, and broken, to do his foul bidding. And for three hundred years I have done his bidding from this marble couch, blackening my soul with cosmic sins and staining my wisdom with crimes because I had no other choice. Yet not all my ancient secrets as has he wrestled from me, and my last gift shall be the sorcery of the blood and the jewel. For I fear the end of time draw near. You are the hand of fate. I beg you, take the gem you will find on yonder altar. Conan turned to the golden ivory altar indicated, and took up a great round jewel, clear as crimson crystal, 
and he knew that this was the heart of the elephant. Now for the great magic, the mighty magic such as earth has not seen before, and shall not see again, through a million million of millenniums, by my life-blood I conjure it, by blood born on the green breast of Yag, dreaming far poised in the great blue vastness of space. Take your sword, man, and cut out my heart, then squeeze it so that the blood will flow over the red stone. Then you will go down these stairs and enter the ebony chamber where Yara sits wrapped in lotus dreams of evil. Speak his name and he will awaken. Then lay this gem before him and say, Yag Kosha gives you a last gift, gift and a last enchantment. Then get you from the tower quickly. Fear not, your way will be made clear. The life of man is not the life of Yag, nor is human death the death of Yag. Let me be free of this cage broken of blind flesh, then I will once more be Yoga of Yag, morning crowned and shining, with wings to fly and feet to dance and eyes to see and hands to break. Uncertainly Conan approached, and Yag Kosha, or Yoga, as if sensing his uncertainty, indicated where he should strike. Conan set his teeth and drove the sword deep. Blood streamed over the blade and his hand. The monster started convulsively and lay back quite still. Sure that life had fled, at least life as he understood it, Conan set to work on the grisly task, and brought forth something that he felt must be the strange being's heart, though it differed curiously from anything he had ever seen. Holding the pulsing organ over the blazing jewel, he pressed it with both hands and a rain of blood fell on the stone. To his surprise it did not run off, but soaked into the gem as water is absorbed by a sponge. Holding the jewel gingerly, he went over the steps of the fantastic chamber and came out upon several came out upon the silver steps. He did not look back. He instinctively felt that some transmutation was taking place in the body on the marbled couch, and he further felt that it was sort not to be witnessed by human eyes. He closed the ivory door behind him, without hesitation descended the silver steps. It did not occur to him to ignore the instructions given to him. He halted at the ebony door, in the center of which was a grinning silver skull, and pushed it open. He looked back into the chamber of ebony and jet and saw, on a black silken couch, a tall, spare form reclining. Yara, the priest and sorcerer, lay before him, his eyes open and dilated with the fumes of yellow lotus, far staring, as if fixed on gulfs and nighted abysses beyond human ken. Yara, said Conan, like a judge pronouncing doom. Awaken! The eyes cleared instantly and became cold and cruel as a vulture's. Tall, silken-clad form lifted erect and towered gauntly above the Sumerian. Dog! His hiss was like the voice of a cobra. What do you hear? Conan laid the jewel on the ebony table. He who sent this gem bade me say, Yag Kosha gives you a last gift and a last enchantment. Yara recoiled, his dark face ashy. The jewel was no longer crystal clear, its murky depths pulsed and throbbed, and curious smoky waves of changing color passed over its smooth surface. As if drawn hypnotically, Yara bent over the table and gripped the gem in his hands, staring into its shadowed depths, as if it were a magnet to draw the shuddering soul from his body. And as Conan looked, he thought that his eyes must be playing him tricks, for when Yara had risen up from his couch, the priest had seemed gigantically tall, Yet now he saw that Yara's head would scarcely come to his shoulder. He blinked, puzzled, and for the first time that night, doubted his own senses. Then with a shock he realized that the priest was shrinking in stature, was growing smaller before his very gaze. With a detached feeling he watched as a man might watch a play, 
Immersed in a feeling of overpowering unreality, the Sumerian was no longer sure of his own identity. He only knew that he was looking upon the external evidence of the unseen play of vast outer forces beyond his understanding. Now Yara was no bigger than a child. Now, like an infant, he sprawled on the table, still grasping the jewel. And now the sorcerer suddenly realized his fate, and sprang up, releasing the gem. But he still dwindled, and Conan saw a tiny pygmy figure rushing wildly about the ebony tabletop, waving tiny arms and shrieking in a voice that was like the squeak of an insect. Now he had shrunk until the great jewel towered above him like a hill. Conan saw him cover his eyes with his hands, as if to shield them from the glare, and as he staggered about like a madman. Conan sensed Oh jeez, bloody Murray. Conan sensed that some unseen magnetic force was pulling Yara to the gem. Thrice he raced wildly about it in a narrowing circle. Thrice he strove to turn and run out across the table, and then with a scream that echoed faintly in the ears of the watcher, the priest threw up his arms and ran straight toward the blazing globe. Bending close, Conan saw Yara clamber up the smooth, curving surface, impossibly like a man climbing a glass mountain. Now the priest stood on the top, still with tossing arms, invoking what grisly name only God, only gods knew, and suddenly he sank into the very heart of the jewel as a man sinks into the sea. And Conan saw the smoky wave closing over his head, and now he saw in the crimson heart of the jewel, once more crystal clear, as a man sees a scene far away, tiny with great distance. And into the heart came a green shining winged figure, with the body of a man and the head of an elephant, no longer blind or crippled. Yara threw up his arms and fled as the madman flees, and on his heels came the Avenger. Then, like a bursting of a bubble, the great jewel vanished in a rainbow burst of iridescent gleams, and the ebony tabletop lay bare and deserted, as bare, Conan somehow knew, as the marble couch in the chamber above, where the body of that strange transcosmic being called Yag-Kosha, or Yoga, had lain. The Sumerian turned and fled from the chamber, down the silver stairs. So mazed was he that it did not occur to him to escape from the tower by the way he had entered it. Down that winding, shadowy silver well he ran, and came into a large chamber at the foot of the gleaming stairs. There he halted for an instant. He had come into the room of soldiers. He saw the glitter of their silver corslets, the sheen of their jeweled sword hilts. They sat slumped at the banquet board, their dusky plumes waving somberly above their drooping helmeted heads. They lay among their dice and fallen goblets on the wine-stained lapis lazuli floor, and he knew that they were dead. The promise had been made, the word kept. Whether sorcery, sorcery or magic or the falling shadow of great green wings had stilled the revelry, Conan could not know, but his way had been made clear, and a silver door stood open, framed in the whiteness of dawn. Into the waving green gardens came the Sumerian, and as the dawn wind blew upon him with the cool fragrance of luxuriant growths, he stared like a man waking from a dream. He turned back uncertainly to stare at the cryptic tower he had just left. Was he bewitched and enchanted? Had he dreamed all that had seemed to have passed? As he looked, he saw the gleaming tower sway against the crimson dawn, its jeweled crusted rim sparkling in the growing light, and crash into shining shards. Tower of the Ooh. Elephant. Tower I bet you elephant, didn't call man. that he was an alien, Josh. Ooh. No, I did not. <laughs> I, I thought it was some... Yeah, yeah, I, I did not know. He was some sort of... Yeah, poor, like, enslaved... Yeah, like, outer god that... Uh, it's like, look, man. 
I'm just I'm just over all this. <laughs> I'm I'm I am too long for this world and yeah. Poor sweet elephant guy. <laughs> I love that story, man. God, I love uh, that story. Yeah, that was great. That was awesome. Um and 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 it is. I I uh it does it just does seem to touch on so many of those yeah, like like I was saying uh before, like so many of those archetypes, so many of those like kind of deeply rooted uh, cultural understandings of yeah, this poor dude uh, got like banished from from like 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 he and he and his brethren got banished, and so they've just been chilling on Earth for like billions of years, and then this one son of a bitch sorcerer Yara <laughs> comes along, uh, yeah, like traps him, and I, I I don't know, like maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I was also getting some sort of weird. Uh, okay, here's a strange thing that has a weird form. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of greenish. Has this uh, nearly incomprehensible like source of power. Like I can't help but read this as like some sort of a, a, atomic nuclear power. Um, oh, yeah, like allegory or something. But but again, this was thirty three. This was like well before all that stuff was like really coming into force. I don't know. I never thought of that. That's interesting. Right. But 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 again, yeah. maybe that's maybe that's just the jungle bird talking. Um <laughs> <laughs> nah, not at all. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and um uh, I don't know. What else? What else? Th- th- this was. This is just a lovely a uh, lovely little little story and I think a a brilliant addition to yeah, the two wizards story hour. Um, the series that we have, we have here. What are what are some of your thoughts? Like 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 coming back to the story uh, again, or or connections to maybe maybe other uh, parts of the Conan mythos. Um, I really like it. I like how Howard has like his entire you know fictional world laid out. Mm-hmm. Like, and he and you know like. He and he talks about it all the time. Like his first stuff was um, Cole the Conqueror, and Cole was like from Volusia, and it talks about Yara saw Volusia like rise and fall. Yeah, and like there's the stuff like that, and then um, very obviously, like or not obviously, that sounds pretentious. Um, Howard and Lovecraft were like they were buddies, man. They would always go over each other's work. Like they would borrow ideas and themes, and like I think we're saying this off mic, but this is a very almost Lovecraft story. But it just yeah. clips so much better, right? Yeah, the, the, there there are a lot of those similar kind of elements, like sort of trans cosmic entities, uh, for whom, uh, yeah, the human race are just like yeah, like ants or something, um, like and just yeah, like bearing witness to all this stuff, uh, yeah, and that whole as Conan is running out of the tower before it collapsed, he's like, wait, did I just dream all this? Did, did this actually happen? Like, that's, yeah, that's a that's a very common sort of Lovecraftian uh, narrative device. Like, hey, I'm yeah. pretty, you know, I'm kind of kind of went mad here. I don't know if this actually happened, but um, but yeah. Yeah, that's great stuff. I, yeah, I, I really dig the story. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to say, short of just gushing over it, like... <laughs> it's also you know what it's cool to me too it's an it's a goddamn alien in 1933 you know like yeah 
Mm-hmm. I love that idea. I love that it was an alien. And then I love that it was like, it, it has the line of like, you know, we're not immortal, but our mm-hmm. lifespans are as long as planets. And it's like, holy yeah. shit. Yeah, that's awesome. That's well, and, and, and even like some of the other, some of the other connections, right? Like Yag and, uh, uh, or, or no, it was like, yeah, yet Yag Kosha and then Yoga, um, Again, pretty similar to like Yog, Sasoth, and um, yeah. So yeah, c- kind of kind of borrowing some of that sort of sort of things too. No, this is this was this was sweet. This was super sweet. And now I'm yeah, I'm super jazzed to like read read more Conan stuff. Hell um, yeah! Well, this also kind of uh, recalled to me um, when was this written? Okay, so this was this was a little article written all the way back in uh, 2010 uh, for the AV Club website. Um, because like the AV Club is, is sort of an offshoot of the Onion, um, okay. but it's not necessarily satirical. It could just be kind of snarky. Uh, but they yeah do like movies and music and TV shows and um, uh, they, yeah they're kind of like a pop culture thing. And they had this series for yeah I guess more than ten years ago. Um, but they but it was called Gateways to Geekery. Okay, and it's like. Oh yeah, here's this uh yeah, like whole like kind of like niche um uh form of media. So like they have like a like a how do you get into um uh yeah, like Sherlock Holmes. How do you get into K-pop? Um oh, how, like okay. if you and so and so it's like whatever sort of thing that's like seems really daunting and like man, where do I start with with all this stuff? How do I uh they they had an entry for Lovecraft they they had like yeah if you want to if you keep hearing about H.P. Lovecraft where's a good place to start, uh, but back in uh, September twenty third twenty ten by Leonard Pierce there is an entry for the Conan mythos so like mm. people who are new to Conan where are some good places to start where are some places not to start, um and so uh, they recommend just with the nineteen eighty two movie. Conan the Barbarian, featuring yeah. one Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> He's like, yeah, might as well just that's a, that's as good a place to start as any. Um, and then what they recommend for for next steps is um, the Conan comic produced by Marvel in the 1970s. Uh, have have you checked any of those out? Oh uh, yeah, I've I've read a ton of them. I I really love Conan. Like I kind of yeah. went through a phase where it was whoops all Conan. <laughs> so like I was like just you know eat, you know reading everything I could by or reading you know all of that stuff. And then I got into the Marvel comic series. And then I got um like just this last year now I got that Comicsology app on my Fire. Oh and nice! Holy shit! There's so much Conan on there. Like nice. But 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 I. I kind of prefer like Howard's stuff to that stuff. It mm. hits the beats, but it's just kind of not. Yeah, it's not quite the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like Conan kind of ends up looking like a little Arnold Schwarzenegger in like the animation, and it's fine, you know. Like, right? Yeah. Obviously not from like the '70s runs, but like the the '80s and past that. Like, I don't know. I prefer the stories, but the comics are definitely worth your time. Okay, sweet. Yeah, good to know. And then just the one thing, the, the the other one that is always kind of funny too is um, within this, yeah, Gateways to Geekery series, they also say where not to start. Like, don't, like, this will this will turn you off from the thing, whatever that happens to be. 
uh, and they recommend absolutely holding off for the 1984 sequel, Conan <laughs> the Destroyer. They say don't 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 do that one. Like just like do all the other stuff first. Like read read the or original short stories, read the comics, and then if you really want to like get that hundred percent completionist um, achievement, then then come back to Conan the Destroyer. Um. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because like the okay, so the Arnold Schwarzenegger one is probably the least accurate to the Howard stuff. Mm-hmm. It has it kind of hits some of the right beats, but then that sequel, it's a worse movie. It's a bad movie. I'll just you can say it, but it's yeah. more Howardy. Mm, okay. Like, if that makes sense, like, they they kind of, like, paid better attention to the source material with that one. But then, gotcha. but then, like, in the weirdest twist of fate, the worst of the Conan series is that fucking one with Jason Momoa from, like, 2009 <laughs> or 10. I was, I was just going to ask, yeah. It's trash. Uh, it's also this weird... So, like, um, so Khal Drogo is Conan, Jason Momoa. Mm-hmm. And then, the I don't know his name, but the actor that played Zahar, Zo, Zara Zaro Duxass, or however you say it, um, oh, yeah. the big fat black guy in um uh, wherever Danny gets her dragon stolen. So it's uh, like yeah, yeah. I I yeah. Uh, what is that? It's not no. Ka- it's uh Koth, right or Karth? Uh, yeah, Ka- Karth. Q Q A R T H. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or... The, the Garden of Bones. Yeah, 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 yeah. But like, so it's those two actors that you just literally saw in um Game of Thrones. And now right. they're like two different actors, literally playing probably the same people, except mm-hmm. for like the black dude is more of a like barbarian too. He's, he's more of an adventurer. But so mm-hmm. like it's a really shitty movie, but it's super super Howardy. Like they get all the shit right. It's it's weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's weird. Like well, which yeah, one do you so watch? This... And then if you're gonna watch one, just do the, Ar- the just do like Conan the Barbarian, the first one with Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's Sandal Bergman's hot. James Earl Jones crushes it as set like earth also doom it's great mm-hmm. yeah well and and it's also uh worth noting that yeah that av club article oh uh, yeah was was 2010 and the jason momoa conan was 2011 so there you maybe go, 2011 yeah yeah so maybe I, I don't know if they i don't know if leonard price knew that that sort of like uh reboot remake was happening uh or if it was independent to that but um uh but but yeah i also, um, this was okay. Hold on, hold on. Let me just do some quick googling here. There was also a video game, uh, Conan Exiles. Oh my God, Josh! That yeah. Do you want to talk about that for a little bit? <laughs> I put Conan Exiles was my sieve before sieve was my sieve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I put so much time into that, and I just played like the single player, like. Uh, PVE like I never got on mm. servers or anything but holy shit that's cool that one's really cool it's uh, yeah um, MMORPG you can play it online you can play it by yourself um, mm-hmm. it's totally a cash grab because they just you know reskin shit and then put it out as um expand you know as their like yeah, their cosmetic the packs DLC mm-hmm. and man let me tell you dude I absolutely had to have the Kitai bow but I also had to have the Aquilonian armor and like I Man, I'm a sucker for that shit. Like, I put so much time into it. I was thinking as we were recording this, like, why could I don't need to finish Red Dead Two a second time? I can reload Conan <laughs> on the Xbox. It's all right. Like, yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, and it is. Uh, it is 
uh, on Steam also. So maybe I'll maybe I'll give that a give that. You a have a dissertation too. to write, Mister. I, I won't let you. I won't let you go down this K hole, man. Like holy shit. No, I I, I did. I had um, uh, yeah, a couple months back when Elden Ring came out. Um, some of my students were asking me like, oh, oh yeah, Josh, you you think about picking up that? And I was like. Look, guys, I got to be really intentional with my video game purchases, cause yeah, like I just got, I just got to finish up. I got to finish up this this grant program here. Uh, but uh, but maybe afterwards, maybe afterwards, I'll. <laughs> now screw as that. Just play I, it. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just like watch a bunch of like let's plays. Um, yeah, I, that that can also kind of scratch that itch a little bit too. But um, yeah. Well, yeah, violent I think... naked Minecraft. Um, out of curiosity, does it give you like what stories to avoid in that article? Uh, it says, let's see here. Oh, I just had it. Um, uh, it says, um, bu- 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 bum. So, so yeah, it says not Conan the Destroyer. It says mm-hmm. every television version of the character. Uh, yeah, the animated series, uh, the live action. Uh, it says, quote, has been significantly defanged, dumbing down and infantilizing the character to the degree that he's robbed of his savage appeal. Um, and then it says, while there are very worthwhile comic adaptations other than the Thomas Windsor Smith Marvel run, uh, much like the pastiche novels and short stories written by Howard followers, they're of highly variant quality and require a lot of sorting through garbage to get to the good stuff. Okay. Uh, DeCamp and Anderson in particular have written some good Conan stories, but finding them is a project best saved for after you've been exposed to Howard's originals. So yeah, I think they're also sort of taking an approach like yours, like stick stick to the OG Howard and kind of get get a feel for like, yeah, what the world should be like. And then maybe you have to go kind of dumpster diving uh, <laughs> to find like good, good, more contemporary adaptations or extenuations. Um within yeah that 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 narrative universe um yeah but yeah how about you like are there are there any that you can vouch for and say like yeah definitely don't not um, like i'm trying thing. to find the name of it um sorry just sick okay because it's like the dumbest one <laughs> oh oh it's okay it's not the dumbest one i don't like it personally because it kind of reads like a three stooges sketch and it's called uh, Thieves in the House and it's basically Conan goes on a heist with two other guys but then at the same time like there's a wizard that's like watching them it's real weird it's real trippy like the wizard has like a CCTV system that he rigged out of copper tubes and mirrors (laughs) so like he's watching them in the house and it's I just like I say I just don't like it I prefer like I don't know um, if you want a really really good one do a witch shall be born. Mm, That's the one. It's like it's the really famous one where like they it starts with Conan being crucified. Oh, okay. And like that's where the scene came from in the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie when Thulsa Doom tacks him to the tree of woe. Gotcha. That one's really good. Um, Hour of the Dragon is insanely long, but read that one last because it's sort of like Robert E. Howard's like uh Marvel. Cinematic Universe, like, the Finnish arc movie. It's like Avengers Endgame for Conan. It's so good, but, like, super long. Yeah. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, Yeah. it's Um, Queen of the Black Coast is good, too. Sorry, I'll stop talking. I could gush about Conan for hours. No, 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 it's all right. Uh, Queen of the Black Coast, and then what was the Conan 
end game one that, that oh um that uh, hour of the dragon hour of the dragon okay yeah that's like uh, it's boom. cool because like conan like he's already established as king and then he loses his throne so then he like has Ooh. to kind of like magnificent seven himself like back yeah, into power and like okay. god damn it's so cool dude it's so fucking cool <laughs> yeah they're um they also recommend for like later for like yeah maybe like mid game kind of stuff mid game end game kind of stuff they also recommend um uh the complete chronicles of conan released by british publisher orion books in 2006 to mark the 100th anniversary of howard's birth um and then they also say that widely available affordable and with lots of extras like maps timelines and an overview of uh hyboria and an essay on Howard's life and development by Stephen Jones. They also recommend, um, yeah, 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 the complete chronicle because it has every Conan short story uh, Howard wrote. Oh, nice. So maybe that will also be a. Hey, Josh, you passed your dissertation. Uh, congratulations, gift. Uh, the complete chronicles of Conan. So. Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, well, and, and yeah, and so yeah, I think I think that's a great that's a great start. I think that's a great start, and we'll absolutely like uh, a fold in more more Conan stories uh, oh, yeah. for our for our time here. So so listeners, tell us what what did you think of this? Yeah, maybe not like complete left turn, but like a little little like scenic route, um, little little divergence off into the related but uh, uh, discrete, separate and complete. Conan universe let us know uh, are you are you fans of uh, Conan the Destroyer are you gonna like step up to the plate and like go to bat for that movie uh, and say like <laughs> well yeah it is kind of dumber overall but it does keep in more with like Howard's kind of kind of kind of take on it um, if you were given the choice because here's this was something that was even kind of uh, uh, embedded in the Tower of the Elephant Conan could have very easily like taken that gem and be like, "Nah, bitch, you're you're my elephant <laughs> god slave now," but he didn't. He didn't. Uh, he 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 did quote unquote the right thing. Uh, but that, that is one thing I really appreciated about Conan. Yeah. Like every story points out, oh yeah, he's a barbarian and shit, but he's also like really really intelligent very very like mm -hmm. he's sympathetic he doesn't put up with shit but at the same time like he's right. the person you should aspire to be don't put up with people's shit but don't be yeah. a dickhead too like right like right. yeah, yeah like he killed the... the thief in the bar but you know what you don't put up with that shit like it's that yeah, quote right. of uh civilized men are less courteous than barbarians because you're not going to get right. your skull split open we should all take that lesson to heart guys like <laughs> right exactly and so we would love to hear we would love to hear from you uh so yeah please please let us know uh you can find us in yeah one of those like kind of seedy taverns with all the rogues and bravos and mercenaries and tavern wenches uh or an easier way uh is you can just find us on our socials um you can send an email to <laughs> the uh to two wizards podcast at gmail.com uh we're on instagram two wizards uh we're on twitter at two wizards pod c1 I'm also on Twitter. Uh, you can find me, Josh, at Plaid Barbarian. And uh, Mark, so you you were telling me before we started recording, you and you and Dangle Podcast have have some really good things brewing, huh? Yes, yes, we do. We did a marathon recording session. Johnny was in town, so we knocked out a ton of episodes. We did a ton of work. Um, maybe we even recorded an impromptu cinema series. Ooh, <gasps> we'll talk about that later. But yeah, Ooh. um. 
Go check us out over on our sister podcast, The Dangle Podcast, where me and my buddy Johnny take two episodes of King of the Hill, and we discuss it, and we rate and review it. Um, I can tell you, we just probably watched my three favorite episodes of King of the Hill back to back to back, and like... I'm on this weird, like, I haven't come down from my King of the Hill high, if that makes sense yet. <laughs> it's like, no, it's, yeah, so, it's, so, it's so cool to get here. Like, mm-hmm. it, and now I'm just like, oh, it's all downhill from here, man. Shit. But <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, go find us there. Or you can find me on Marky Stardust on Twitter. And yeah, let us know, guys. Do you like Conan? What's your favorite story? Um, do you think that it's problematic, toxic masculinity? Well, I don't because fuck you. <laughs> it made me it made me it helped shape me in the person that I kind of am today. So Right. <laughs> and without that, we wouldn't even be doing this Two Wizards podcast to start. So yeah, before you go uh uh sicking your lion guardians hiding in the shrubbery, uh here comes our yellow poison powder. Foof. Um <laughs> Also cool to see that the poison powder is yellow. Uh, Kami yeah. no Kaze. Never mind. Sorry. Oh no. Yeah, that's right. No, that again, man. Time is time is flat circle. Uh, <laughs> monomyth. Blah 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 blah. All that. Um, but anyway, my name is Josh, <laughs> and I'm a wizard. And my name is Mark. And maybe for right now, I'm a barbarian. I don't know. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. I can. I, I well. I mean, my Twitter handle is at plaid barbarian. So I I like to think. Yeah, there's a little barbarian in all of us. Or maybe a little wizard in all of us that keeps shrinking down and then finally gets absorbed into <laughs> the elephant's heart gem. Uh, but anyway, take care, He peers everybody. too deep into that orb. Take yeah. care, guys. Thank you <laughs> for care. listening. We love you all, everyone. He rolled upon his back, and after that, I killed...